0: Good morning, everyone. Um, we are wrapping up our series today of seven, getting us all the way to, to next week Easter. We're looking forward to that. You know, we've been talking about um, the apostle John. He's the last disciple that has left. All the other disciples before him are, have been martyred for their faith. And, and my guess is someone comes up and says, John, you need to tell your story. And he tells his story. And we've been looking at the unique way that John has told his story. And and he gives us these miracles, these signs, as he calls them, pointing us to who Jesus is. And the question is, who is this Jesus? Was he a man? Was he a myth? Or was he actually the Messiah? And here is John giving us his first hand account the things that he saw, the things that he touched, the things that he witnessed, hoping that we will understand who this Jesus actually is. And back in week two, if you remember, um, we talked about how some people have walked away from their faith. And that even young people have just said, I, I just don't know if I can believe in this God anymore. And the question that they have, the question that's at the base of, of them walking away from their faith is this question, is why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And you know what? This trips us up sometimes, doesn't it? Honestly, when you really think about it, that we have, we have these kind of questions that maybe you even have seen things in your own life that, man, things have happened. You just wonder, is God really out there? Is he, really, is he really paying attention to what is happening in, in my life? And then we look at all the things that are, are happening out in the world, even today, the, some of the crisis that we're, we're living through right now, and we, we see other things that are happening of, of, of tsunamis and storms and, and just ruthless leaders and, and things. And we wonder, how does God allow all that to happen? And maybe if we were honest, you'd even say, you know, my faith is teetering a little bit because of all of this. And there's another question that kind of goes alongside with that one, and it's this, is how can God and evil exist at the same time? When we see all that bad, all that junk, all that stuff that's happening out there, how, how, does, how do we, we rationalize that? How do we say can, can this evil exist and God exist at the same time? And I think we have to look closer to home, honestly. We have to ask us a question. Is there any bad that we have ever done? Is there any evil in our lives? And we'd like to say, well, no, you know what, the things I'm talking about are the big bad things out there in the world. You know, it's not really starting here, but but honestly, if we're honest, we, we have some evil, honestly, in us, the way we act, the way we treat people sometimes. It's kind of like this, you know, what if, <laughs> what if you knew that you could do something and never get caught? What is it that you would do? You know, there's some of that inside of us that if we're honest, it's just there, and And, you know, John helps us wrestle with that today in the story that we're going to be looking at. Because John actually saw God and evil exist at the same time. You know, we think there's evil in our world today, but back when John was living, when Jesus was around walking the earth, there was a lot of evil. There was ruthless leaders. There was uh, people just doing awful things to other people. There was evil in the world. And what John is saying is that I experienced and I watched Jesus, God and Abad, exist at the same time, there is evil. And he watched how God worked Jesus for the good to, to eliminate that evil and how, how we are to respond to that. And so as we look at this story today, Jesus has been going back from, from Galilee to Jerusalem. He keeps making that, that trip back and forth because when he gets to Jerusalem, a lot of bad things can happen. He always runs into some kind of trouble. The Sadducees are trying to catch him. The Pharisees are trying to get him to a point where they can arrest him. And so we're going to pick up the story actually in John 10, 24, when there's an important question asked by the crowd that's around him. It says, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not My sheep. And Jesus is saying, You know what? I have not only just told you, I have shown you. These miracles, these signs is what John calls them. I am showing you exactly who I am. I am showing you exactly who God is. The problem is that you just won't embrace it. That you are refusing to allow yourself to believe in what I am showing you and what I am telling you. You have an agenda of your own, you're not looking at this. And then Jesus, <laughs> he steps up his game one more time. In the last miracle, this last sign that John talks to us about, he does something that, honestly, he forces everybody's hands. You have to make a decision on who Jesus is when he does this last sign. And, and he honestly manipulates a situation, and he manufactures the sign. He actually, he, he uses it to to force people to, to, to make a decision on who he actually is. And some people will believe in him, and others will be so adamant that they are bound and determined to kill him. So let's jump into the story. We're going to be in John chapter 11. Here's what it says. It starts out, and many of you know this story. Maybe you've heard this story. It's about Lazarus, Jesus' friend, who he raised from the dead. John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now Jesus is about a day's walk away from, from where this has taken place, where Lazarus is. And I think it's interesting, too, that you notice that, that they didn't even have to say it was Lazarus. That, that Lazarus had such a friendship, such a, uh, an intimate relationship with Jesus that they didn't even have to use his name. It was just the one that you love. And the other thing I think is interesting here is when Jesus gets this word, he could have done exactly what he did with a nobleman's son. If you remember back in the nobleman, the nobleman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my, my son is on his deathbed. He is sick back at home. And I want you to come back with me and heal my son. But Jesus just heals the son right then and there, and tells the nobleman, you don't have to hurry, and you don't have to worry. Your son is healed. Jesus could have taken that, this situation and done the same thing that he did there, but he chooses not to. He goes on in verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. But the interesting thing here is, by the time the message has gotten to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. And he goes on, he says this, No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. You know, and we know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. We know what Jesus is going to do. But if you are hearing this for the very first time or if you are experiencing this like they were, can you put yourself in those, their shoes? And, and, and this line would have been frightening, honestly. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. What Jesus is saying is that the sickness is for God's glory. This death is for God's glory, and we're looking at this and saying these bad things going to happen that that Jesus is going to allow this bad thing to happen. He's going to actually use it for God's glory. He's allowing it to happen and that's tough for us, isn't it? when we start really thinking about that and and when, and when we think about that, you, you can start almost say, you know what if If God's going to allow us to go through these things, if God's going to allow this kind of pain, if he's going to allow this kind of grief in our lives, can he possibly love us? And that's exactly where John goes next. Because you can get the idea that that God or Jesus doesn't really care about us because he's allowing this to happen. He's not rescuing us from this situation. But listen to the next line. I think John does this purposely so we understand. Number verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus, because it sure doesn't look like it, does it? That he's not going to hurry to get there. He's going to allow them to go through this grief and this pain and this suffering of losing Lazarus, and he's doing it intentionally. (laughs) You know, and and, and sometimes our life is the same way, isn't it? The things that we're going through, the things that we're dealing with, the grief, the, the things that we wish God would handle, and we can't understand why we're in the mess that we're in right now, and and we're getting beat up by life, and and we're thinking, where, God, are you in all of this? And so I would say for you today that that this sign wasn't just for for them, that this sign was honestly for us today, that Jesus is showing us how he's going to use this for his glory, for God's glory. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And again, he's staging the sign. He's, he's making sure that, that everybody understands what's going on here. He is not in any hurry to get back to, to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and here he is. And now he says, I want to go back to, to Judea. And I love what the disciples' comments are here. And because they know that if they go back to Judea, man, they're, they're going to be in, in trouble. He says, but Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. They realize that Jesus' life is in danger if they go back there. And if Jesus' life is in danger, their life is in danger also. So they're not very excited, actually, about going back to this place. And now Jesus goes into a teaching mode because they they say this to him. And now Jesus is is bringing these heavenly principles that that he has down to earth and trying to teach them something. Verse 9. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And earlier in John, John, he actually calls Jesus the light of the world. And what Jesus is trying to talk about is that here we are in the world with all this stuff, all this evil, all the pain, the suffering, the, the grief that we have, that we come in contact with, that if if we just are in the world without the light, we can't navigate that, that we're not able to to handle the things that are thrown at us, and we are going to stumble and we're gonna fall. But if we have the light, we have a way to navigate that. We have a way to get through all of these things that are thrown at us. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up and he tells them that they are going to go, but they still don't want to go, and I think it's interesting the next line is, is what they're starting to feel like is, is, is Jesus saying he's asleep. Well, if he's asleep, then maybe his fever is broken. You know, if he sleeps, he's going to get better, so let's just stay and let's just kind of see what, what happens. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus, is dead dudes he's dead all right and we are heading back there but it had to confuse him because earlier he just said this is not going to lead to death and now if you hear the words of jesus these next couple of lines honestly it gets a little harsh for what jesus is saying so they told him plainly lazarus is dead and for your sake i am glad i was not there And it's shocking, isn't it? Jesus intentionally let him die. He let him die. What he says here is for your sake, for our sake today. And for any of us who have have buried someone way too early, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a parent, and we understand this grief and this hurt and this this hole that is, is in us And here is Jesus manufacturing this event. Here is Jesus allowing this death to happen, all the grief, all the pain, everything around it, so that he can prove a point. He says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. He's creating this moment in all the awfulness of what it was so that we can have something to cling on to in these moments. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, (laughs) let us go that we may die with them. Basically what he's saying is Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going to be dead. We might as well go because we're going to die also. So let's just get on the bus and here we go. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have prevented this, but you didn't. You could have stopped this whole thing from happening, but if you, you didn't. You could have stopped all the grief, all the pain, all the anguish that we are going through, but you didn't show up. You weren't here. And we see this picture of bad things happening to to." good friends of even Jesus and my guess is at this point you know Martha is 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 clinging to her faith she wants to believe that she can't figure out and she can't justify why didn't Jesus come why didn't he rescue his friend and she goes on and says but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask and Jesus said to her your brother will rise again (laughs) and she thinks that Jesus has just gone into preacher mode and we do this don't we we Sometimes we give this Bible verse to try to make somebody feel better, you know, that, that God works all things out for, for his good and, and, and why, why they're in their grief. We're just trying to give them some comfort, and, and she thinks that is what Jesus has done. And, and she goes on and says, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, but I wanted you here to avoid all this. I wanted you here so that we didn't have to grieve. I wanted you here to heal him so that we didn't have to plan this funeral and go through all the tough stuff that we are going through. And what Jesus says next is unbelievable. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This isn't about theology. This isn't about a story. I am the person. I am the resurrection and the life. He goes on and says, the one who believes, the one who doesn't just believe in, not just believe in the story of Jesus, not believe in that he went to the cross, not just believe in, but but believe in and trust. You know, you can believe that Jesus lived, you can believe that Jesus went to the cross, but when you believe in, what you are doing is you are trusting. The one who believes in, who trusts in me, even though they die, And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her a question, do you believe this? And I think it's the same question that we are asked today. And it is so hard for us to believe sometimes. When we're we're in that grief, when we're in the mode of, man, look at all this stuff that is happening, and we start breaking down the trust that we thought we had because it didn't work out exactly the way we thought. And Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you're going to live. Do you believe this? And she answers, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. Yes, Jesus, I believe even though I'm in pain. Yes, Jesus, I believe even though I have all this grief that my brother is dead. Yes, Jesus, even though I'm going through circumstances that I wish I didn't have to go through, I'm in the middle of this thing that I would love for all to go away. I do believe who you are. I believe that you are in control. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the one we have been waiting for all these years, that you are the son of God. Then the story goes on, and Mary goes and meets Jesus and has a lot of the same conversations. They have a lot of same complications of Jesus if you just would have been here. And then Jesus enters into what's going on in the story, and this is just a beautiful picture. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this starts to show us and gives us a picture of who Jesus is. As he sees all the grief, all the sorrow, all the agony that's going on around here, he enters into where they are and he starts grieving with them. And the next line, the shortest line in scripture proves to us who Jesus was and how much he actually does care. Verse 35 says that Jesus wept. And Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows that in just a little while, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he enters into the pain and the suffering of what's going on with Mary and Martha and all those who are at the funeral. And he empathizes with them. He he sees where they are. He enters into the emotion, the pain, the fear that is gripping them, and he weeps with them. And everybody around him sees this. It says that then the Jews said, See how he loved him. He's showing them how much he cared for this man. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Why isn't he doing something? Why is there still evil? Why is there still hurt? Why is there still pain going on here? Why didn't he do, so? Why didn't he do we heard about the nobleman. Why didn't he heal him just like he did there? And he did it for our sake, so that we could have hope. He proved to us, he proves to everyone that he is exactly who he said he was, not only the Messiah, but Jesus claims that he is the resurrection and the life. And he is showing us that he has control over death. He has control over the grave. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What a moment. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And again, he's setting up this whole thing. He's allowed this whole event to happen. (laughs) Not the way that anybody else would have wanted it to happen, but he's setting up and now he's praying out loud to God the Father and saying, I'm saying this so that everybody else will not have a question in their mind of who I am, that I am the Messiah, that I am the resurrection and the life verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, Can you imagine? Can you imagine the scene at this point? Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. You think? (laughs) Can you imagine what was happening at this point? And that is an understatement. Is it? I bet everybody there was blown away and said, he is. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that's been prophesied about. He truly is the resurrection and the life. And it was his purpose all along to prove without a shadow of a doubt that this sign that John is talking about, that he was eyewitness to, that he tells us today, he said, you can believe and trust in me because I saw all this happen, that not only they can believe that he is the resurrection and life, that he was the Messiah, but that you can, that we can believe that Jesus is exactly who he said that he was. And with that, we can believe in and we can trust and we can know that we have life in him. And you may be thinking right now, you know, what a great story. But Brad, I, I, I've been praying about something. I've, I've been in something and, and no one's coming back to life. And we've got to understand why Jesus did that is to, is, is to prove who he was, that he was the resurrection and the life and the Messiah. And we think of other stories in the scripture. And one of my favorites is actually John the Baptist. And here's John the Baptist, who Jesus himself said he was the greatest man that ever lived. There was no one like him. John the Baptist, who called out and said, Jesus is the Savior. He is the one. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And John the Baptist ends up in jail, in a cell. And because of his circumstances and because of everything that's going on, and he doesn't understand why he's in here, and when Jesus is outside, and he knows that Jesus can rescue him, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to see Jesus. And, and, and after he actually claimed that and, and told everybody that he was the Messiah, he sends his disciples to ask, Jesus, are you the one? And my guess is he's starting to, to, to doubt who Jesus is because of his circumstances, because of he knows that he's probably going to be killed here shortly. Jesus, will you come and rescue me? And Jesus sends back word to John the Baptist and, and says, says, basically through his disciples, says, yes, I am the Messiah but John, I'm not going to rescue you. And John is taken out and he is beheaded. And so there's times that Jesus doesn't rescue us. He tells us this story so that we can understand that he has the power, that that he was the Messiah. But it doesn't mean that everything, every time is going to work out exactly how we had hoped and how we had planned and the people come back to Jerusalem and they have this story of Jesus has raised this dead man. And historians and theologians will tell you that there had to be something uh, cataclysmic at the end of Jesus' ministry to, to, make the, to make his story explode the way it does. And people come back and say, we believe it was this story, this, this raising Lazarus from the dead that did that. <laughs> the people had witnessed it. And so now the story is spreading and now it gets back to the, to the Pharisees and, and they realize that something had to be done. And so the enemies of Jesus plotted to kill Jesus. Here's what they actually say in verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And we see this picture of Jesus And all these other people that's going to go out and falsely accuse him, bring him into a false trial to lie about him and accuse him and put him to death. And there's all this evil that John knows about and sees about and tells us about. And there's there's Jesus and they're existing at the exact same time. God doesn't eliminate the evil, but he sent a son in the midst of all of it. John puts it this way in chapter three, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God doesn't eliminate evil, and he didn't eliminate evil. What he did, he sent his son in the midst of it so that we could have hope, so that we could have hope of a better life, because we could have hope of a resurrection. That is what God does. That's how much he loves you, that we have hope and promise in the presence of all that is wrong, of all that is evil around us. And we can hold on to that. We keep going back to this one verse that we said almost every week in this series. Why did Jesus do this sign? Why does John pick out this sign? Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He doesn't come and pull us out of all the bad, all the tough stuff, all the grief, all the hurt, all the pain, but he sends his Son so that we know that he cares and he loves us. That's what John wants us to understand and know that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, the resurrection of life and the Messiah. Would you pray with me? Father, what an amazing story. And I know that there are people hurting and and there are people in our family that is just going through some stuff, and maybe they're just in the times that we are troubled right now with all everything that's going on around us, that there's some uneasiness, there's some fear, there's some just some anxiety. And Father, I hope that we can look at this story and understand who you are and why you sent Jesus, that we can have hope and we can have the promise of, of eternal life in Jesus. And so we thank you and we pray that, that we will just live this out so that people can see that, that Jesus has made a difference in our lives. It's in the amazing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You know, my guess is that when Lazarus came out of that grave, that he came out a little bit running. And and we want to end with a song today that will, will give us that same hope that we can run out of the grave just like Lazarus did. Enjoy this.
1: I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not Alive All my failures I tried To hide It was my Tomb Till I met You You called My name And I ran Into your glorious day You call my name mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. Jesus, when I met you, you called my Great. heavy but chains break at the weight of your glory i needed shelter i was an orphan now you call me a citizen of heaven when i was broken you were my healing now Your love. loving
0: so much for joining us today. And here's something special that's going on that maybe you've heard about, but tonight at eight o'clock, we're starting a whole new series. We're going to go every night of the week this week. It's called The King and the Cross, A Journey to Easter. And we're going to be actually walking through Holy Week, what some people call Passion Week, and, and just walking through the life of Jesus, what happened to Jesus every day We start this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, 8 o'clock tonight. Bruce and I are going to be teaching and just going through what has actually happened. What our hope is is that as we walk through these days, as you experience Jesus, you can actually put yourself into the place of of this is what's going on so that you understand even better how important and how much Jesus loves you when we get to celebrate coming Easter. We can't wait. We hope that you'll join us every night at 8 o'clock on YouTube or Facebook. Have a great day.